We're in a series called Story. Um, learning about the story of Jesus, but we're learning about the story of Jesus because I believe that if you read Scripture clearly, um, the more you know about Jesus' story and how the story of Jesus fits into your life, the closer you're going to be to Jesus. At the end of our 1045 service, we have 17 people who are going to get baptized today. And before we baptize people at our church, they tell their story. So I literally cannot wait to get through these services so that I can go read the stories of people who have given their lives to Jesus at our church or made huge spiritual strides at our church and they've never gone forward with public baptism. It's going to be just incredible. But your story, as we said last week, is the most powerful spiritual weapon that you have. And here's what we said last week. If you pull out your sermon notes in the back of your bulletin so you can follow along, we said last week that everybody's story revolves around a few defining moments. I met this morning with one of the young guys in our church who is feeling called to ministry. And we met at 7.15 and talked for nearly an hour today. And I said, tell me why you think God's calling you to ministry. And he just talked to me about moments in the last year of his life, moments that have led up to a real definite call of God on his life. But his life is made up of a few defining moments. As we read the baptism testimonies, it's going to be stories of moments that happened in the life of people. And Jesus' story revolves around a few big moments. If you just want the quick, the quick chronology of Jesus, his birth was obviously the first big point of his story as we enter the gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This was the beginning of his life. His baptism, which we studied last week, was the beginning of his ministry. It was the first common point of Jesus' life in the four gospels together. And then his transfiguration, which we study today, is the beginning of Jesus' glory. And we said that every Christian should go through these stages. They should experience new life. They should experience ministry life. And then eventually they should get to a point in their life where their life brings God glory. And today we look in Luke chapter 9 at the transfiguration of Jesus. And we see Jesus glorified in Luke chapter 9 on a mountain with a few of his disciples. Now, if you don't have your Bible today, our ushers are going to have some uh, that you can use. They're going to have some that you can have. We're going to read through a decent little segment of scripture today. And every Sunday, we want you to have a Bible in your hands if you want one. So just wave at our ushers if you forgot yours or if you need yours or dial it up on your phone or your tablet or however you pay attention. And if you don't have a Bible, put your name in this one and keep it. Take it home. We've given away more than 700 since our church started so that people could follow along in God's word and scripture. But here's what we read in Luke chapter 9. Starting in verse 28 and moving forward. Here's what we read. About eight days after Jesus said this. Now we need to stop right there. Because as Christians wanting to study this text, we can't really understand this text until we understand what this is. Because Luke is tying together something Jesus just said with something that's getting ready to happen. So Luke says about, after day, after, about eight days after Jesus said this... Everyone reading this who's got like their thinking cap on has to be saying, well, what is this? What did, what did he say? Well, what he said was in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. So about eight days after Jesus said this, what did he say? Look at verse 23. After Jesus said this, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. Verse 27, truly I tell you, some who are standing here 
will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So about eight days after Jesus, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, my plan for your life is different and better than your plan for your life. About eight days after Jesus said, the way you think you want to live your life is to have control, but the way I'm telling you to live your life is to give God control. About eight days after Jesus said, wanting to run your own life is not as good as letting you let me run your life. About eight days after Jesus said, you have to give everything to follow me. And he said, some of you are going to have a sneak preview of what the kingdom of God actually looks like. About eight days after Jesus said that, this happened. So let's go back to verse 28, because context is always good for us. About eight days after Jesus said this, that his plan for our life was better and that we'd see the kingdom of God one day, and he said, some of you are going to see it soon, he took Peter and John and James with him, and he went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't even know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves. And they did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. You know, as we continue in this series, we're trying to find out about things in the life of Jesus and in the ministry of Jesus that can be important and transformational to our Christian walk. And we said last week that defining moments... God uses defining moments in our life to shape us and to change us. But as we look into the text today and we study the life of these three disciples from this moment moving forward, we see that God uses defining decisions in our life to really shape our Christian life and to shape our spiritual truth, our, our spiritual future. And you need to understand these next two things that I'm going to say are really foundational truth for everything that I'm going to teach you today about Luke chapter 9. The first is this. The closer you can get to Jesus, the better the chance that you'll make good spiritual decisions. The closer in life that you're able to stay to Jesus, the more you're in the Word, the more that you're able to meditate in a worshipful atmosphere, the more time you spend in prayer, the more time you're around the teaching and preaching of God's Word and the fellowship of believers in a small group discussing things spiritually... The closer you are to Jesus, the better position you're in to make good spiritual decisions. And I would say, as I look at Scripture, that ultimately every decision has a spiritual life element to it. So I actually believe that every decision is a spiritual decision because every decision has spiritual impact. And I believe you can ask this question, how will this decision impact me spiritually, about every decision you're facing in your life. Think about it as a teenager, if you could go back at 18. Does choosing the college that you chose, does that have an impact on you spiritually one way or another? For those of you who are parents and your kids are going off to school, does where they go to college, does that even matter spiritually? How about who you marry? Does who you marry, is, is who you marry, is that a spiritual decision or is that just a love decision? Is that just an emotional decision? 
Or is there a spiritual element to who you marry? How about the hours you're willing to work and the job that you're considering? Is there a spiritual dynamic to making the decision you make based on the job you want to work and how that will allow you to live your life spiritually? How about the people you choose to be close friends with? Do you think your friends have an impact on your spiritual life? Do you think the decisions you make in relationships impact you spiritually at all? Because the Bible says that they do. How about how harshly you speak to somebody who you have spiritual influence with? Do you think a decision to have a bad attitude one day at work has spiritual impact on people around you? How about the roles and the rules that you set for your child? Do your household rules, what your kids are allowed to listen to and watch on TV, who they're allowed to be with, how late they're allowed to stay out, are those spiritual decisions or parenting decisions or are they both? What about movies or books you choose to entertain yourself with? What about the schedule that you allow yourself or your family to keep? What about the things that you choose to purchase or how you choose to save or how far you choose to go into debt or what you choose to spend this year at Christmas? Do any of those have spiritual impact on you? How about how you view somebody who hurts you? Is that just a personal thing or is that a spiritual thing? See, I believe ultimately every decision has a spiritual life element to it. And every decision is a spiritual decision. And the closer you get to Jesus, the better the chances are that you'll make good spiritual decisions. So in Luke chapter 9, here's what we see about Jesus and decisions from a very high view of this text. Number one, when you truly see and experience Jesus, your life is transformed. I mean, when you truly have your eyes open to who Jesus is, what Jesus does, what Jesus wants you to do, when you truly see and experience Jesus, everything is different. Your life is transformed. And what I find interesting is Luke 9.36 about this text by itself, especially in our day of social media. Some of you this week won't have truly celebrated Christmas till it's on Facebook because that, like, that's how your life works. Until one of your friends has liked a picture about something that you got and liked, you won't be really satisfied. But when everything's posted, then life has begun. There, there aren't a lot of private moments in life these days. But look at verse 36. After this massive moment with Jesus and Moses and Elijah on the mountain of God. This would have been a big deal for Jewish young men. It says, when, they, when the voice was spoken, they found Jesus was alone. But the disciples kept this to themselves. And they didn't tell anybody at the time what they had seen. They didn't tweet it. They didn't vine it. They didn't Instagram it. They didn't Facebook it. They didn't, they didn't hold a Bible study and tell everyone about it. They just, they just thought about it for a time. It says for a time they just thought about it. And we find out that by the time they process what they had seen, later the Apostle Peter will stake all of his faith on this moment. But I want you to see what happened. For the first time, these disciples truly saw Jesus with his supernatural presence. They'd never seen him before with his supernatural presence. But they did in verse 29. It says, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. All of a sudden, they saw Jesus in a spiritual, supernatural presence that they had never viewed him in before in the three years that they had walked with him on planet Earth. And when they truly saw the presence of Jesus through their own eyes, man, it changed everything. They finally truly saw Jesus with his supernatural people. I love this in verse 30. I mean, they had, been, they had been Jesus' posse up until this time. They had been Jesus' people up until this time. But verse 30 says two men, Moses and Elijah. Like, those are the big boys of the Old Testament. 
Like this is the first round, this is the first ballot Hall of Famer of the Old Testament Hall of Faith. These guys would have gotten the attention of anyone who grew up with any understanding of the Hebrew Bible or what we now refer to as the Old Testament. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They saw Jesus with his people. It opened their eyes to who he was. And then they saw Jesus, number three, with his supernatural purpose. In verse 31, Jesus and Moses and Elijah were having a discussion about his final purpose of what he had come to do in ministry. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment. The word fulfillment means a process that's almost finished. They spoke to Jesus about his mission that was almost finished. They spoke to Jesus about his purpose which was getting ready to happen at Jerusalem. And we know they began to contemplate, number four, they began to contemplate their place in the supernatural plan of Jesus. You see, when they truly saw Jesus in his spiritual presence, when they watched Jesus having a conversation with his spiritual people, when they saw Jesus discussing his spiritual purpose, they stepped back and they thought, man, what does this mean what does this mean to us? What does this mean for us? What are we supposed to do now that we've been exposed to the kingdom of God here on earth? And listen, from time to time, we have to complicate, we have to contemplate this question. What is our place in the plan of Jesus? When's the last time you sat down and just thought about for 30 minutes? What is my place in the plan of Jesus? What is my place in the gospel? What is my place in our church? What is my place in our home? What's my spiritual place in my job? When's the last time you've contemplated this? Because you've got to contemplate this question. And you have to understand this question to really lean into this truth that coming into contact with Jesus transforms you. That's why I can't wait for this church-wide campaign we're going to do in January. Pastor Ryan has written this unbelievable curriculum, our Next Steps pastor on story. And we're going to teach everyone, everyone in our church in small groups, we're going to teach them to tell their story through the lens of their plan, their place in Jesus' plan for the world. Some of you aren't in small groups yet. You're going to need to get in a small group so you can take six weeks with a community of people and you can all discuss together what is my place in the plan of Jesus. And our goal is by the time we get to Easter that every person in our church will know their place in the plan of Jesus. But the reality is a lack of true contemplation in life will always rob you of true transformation. A lack of true contemplation, this, this refusal to stop and think about the things in your life that have happened and what you can learn from them if you refuse to contemplate life experiences and learn from them, you're crazy. It robs you of transformation. If you don't at some point this year sit down for an hour or two and just look back on 2014 and say, man, what happened? What can I learn from what happened? How can I be better from what happened? You're crazy. If, you don't, if there's no contemplation, there's no transformation. So the disciples left this mountain and they... They thought about what happened. They didn't act on it immediately. But this moment became the backbone of Peter's final word of faith to planet Earth. And here's a scenario in 2 Peter. Peter's imprisoned. Church history tells us that Peter is 
being prepared to be martyred for his faith by one of the most evil emperors that's ever lived, Nero, who was the emperor of Rome at the time. And church history tells us that because Peter wouldn't recant his faith, that they crucified Peter's wife and his two children in front of him. And when he still wouldn't recant his faith, they were going to crucify him. And he requested to be crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that my Savior was. While in prison awaiting that, he wrote the book of 2 Peter to encourage the church one more time not to quit. And look, look what gave him confidence not to quit. In 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power. So we didn't make it up. We didn't just hear about it. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. Peter said, I am willing to die. And I'm, I'm willing to let my family choose for themselves to go to the cross for Jesus. I'm willing to let it happen because I'm not making it up. And because I don't have to wonder if anyone else made it up. I saw it. And he said, I was with Jesus on a mountain one day when I heard God speak. You see, in Luke 9, 36, Peter left the mountain. Maybe for the first and only time in Scripture, he kept his mouth shut. Because Peter was always talking. But on this day, he didn't say anything. But Peter, looking back on his life sitting in a jail cell, said it was that moment on the mountain when I truly saw Jesus, everything, everything was changed. And this would be his moment of faith that he relied on, this decision to see Jesus for who he was and to understand who Jesus was and what his purpose was and what his place was in the plan of Jesus and to allow this to transform him. When you really see Jesus for who he is, it's supposed to transform your life. And if your life hasn't been transformed, you need to go back to that sighting and see whether you've really seen Jesus or whether you had a Bigfoot type of thing. Like, have you seen like some grainy picture of Jesus in National Geographic? Or have you really seen Jesus? Because when you see Jesus, your life is transformed. Secondly, we see in Scripture, at least from Luke chapter 9, that radical transformation comes from knowing where to be and what to look for when you're there. I've learned through Scripture that people have to learn. They, learn how, 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 they have to learn how to hear from God. They have to learn how to look from God. And they have to learn... How to be in the right place at the right time. Peter and James and John just happened to be in the right place at the right time. They were in the right place and they knew what to look for. I love what Peter said in Luke 9.33. It says, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said, Master, like it's good for us to be here. Master. Like he wasn't even really sure what he was saying, but he was like, like this is a big deal, right? Like this moment is a big deal. We, like we have found ourselves kind of in, in the glory of God, right? This is a big deal. And he said, we should do something spiritually. They were in the right place and they knew what to look for. And Peter said, this type of experience demands something. What, what should we do? Should we, build, like, should we build some houses? He knew he was supposed to do something. But when you know where to be and what to look for, you know how to change. Let me ask you a question. 
you're here today. What, did, what was your purpose in coming to church today? What did you hope to see or to hear or learn or experience today? Or are you just at church because it's Sunday and that's what you do? See, when you know not only where to be, but what to look for. When you have your spiritual lenses open saying, God, show me something today. God, touch me today. God, speak to me today. When you know where to be and what to look for, man, radical things can happen. I ask people this question all the time. Do you have a purpose for following Jesus? Like, is there a reason that you follow Jesus more than just wanting to go to heaven one day? Is there a reason that you're pursuing Jesus to know him more? Because I love what Proverbs 8.35 says. Proverbs, speaking of wisdom, and I believe this is true of Jesus as well, said, those who find me find life, and they receive favor from the Lord. Are you pursuing Jesus because you want to you find life more than you have it now? Are you pursuing Jesus because you want to receive favor from the Lord? You're, you're on some kind of path to learn something you can do that'll put you in close communion with God? Because the reality is, if you'll put yourself in the right place, and if you'll earnestly look for what Jesus has for you there, God will show up. And when God shows up, everything changes. Our pastors have been filming our stories since October to show to our church as we get ready to launch this campaign. Last week, I showed you my story and just kind of told you who I was and how I got here. This week, Pastor Scott is going to share with you his story. And you're going to hear through the lens of Pastor Scott's story that when you're at the right place at the right time and your eyes are open trying to figure out what God does for you, everything changes. So take a look at Scott's story. My name is Scott and this is my story. I grew up in the small town of Drexel, Missouri, uh, population 907 people. I grew up in and around church most of my life. Uh, I went to a very small Baptist church in this small town where there were five people in the youth ministry that I attended, one of those being my older brother. And through just my interactions with church growing up, I certainly had a very good foundation uh, of just moral boundaries in my life. I knew right and wrong, um, certainly was very comfortable in, this, in the church setting. And that was a, made a huge difference in my life, um, just being around that. When I was eight years old, my parents got a divorce. And um, man, this was a very difficult part of my life, but it's, it's part of my story and, and part of what shaped me. I had heard the gospel many times growing up in a Baptist church. But it wasn't until I was 13, when I went on a youth retreat to Worlds of Fun of All Places, where I would actually hear the gospel for the first time, and it, it wasn't because I was on a roller coaster, which I hate. Um, it was because I, I had heard this person speak that I don't even remember his name. Um, there was a concert, and the guy spoke afterwards. And as he spoke at, for the first time, I don't know what he said differently, um, but I remember this. I remember for the first time understanding that I could never be good enough on my own that I really needed Jesus, and, and only through Jesus could I ever live, live up to the standard that God wanted for my life. And so that day, I, I prayed to receive Jesus. Uh, I made a decision to follow Him. And uh, afterwards, I made that decision. My youth pastor, Mitch, and I sat down for about 30 minutes and began to kind of have a conversation about what that really looked like. And it was that moment that I knew um, my life needed some change in it. For a year, I was very, very committed. Um, really praying, reading my Bible for the first time. But like most teenagers, I began to get more involved in sports. And the older I got, the busier I got. 
and before long I was I was doing so much sports um, basically every time there was a sport I was playing it if I wasn't playing sports I was hunting or fishing with my dad and before long there just wasn't as much time for God in my life and it wasn't that I didn't love God it wasn't that I was angry at God it wasn't that I changed my mind it just I was facing the tension of life that most teenagers face, most adults face. It became pretty evident in my life that, that um, God was, wasn't really my first priority. I mean, there were a lot of things going on in my life, and um, I always did very well in school academically. Um, and really, again, I wasn't a bad kid. I wasn't, I wasn't doing bad things. But one of the areas that really began to show up when it came to priorities in God was what I wanted to do with my life. And... And basically, from a young age, I really wanted to be a doctor. Um, I think it was an expectation that people wouldn't have been shocked at um, because I did really well in school. And so from high school, I went to the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and did a lot of pre-med courses. And, and in this time of my life, um, after I graduated from high school, I'd, I began to really struggle for the first time academically. Um, kind of the classes I was taking, I was no longer interested in. It was a struggle every day to even get good grades. And I was really, really struggling. And I think most people around me didn't even really understand why, and I probably didn't really understand why. And what I learned through this season of life spiritually is I'd become pretty good at saying no to things in my life, um, but I never really learned how to say yes to Jesus rather than just say no to stuff and things, habits in my life, things like that. And so as I began to kind of explore a bigger picture of my life, like, what, God, what do you want me to do? Um, I began to look through a different lens of, of yes, Jesus, I will, I will say yes to you if you'll just show me what that is. And I found myself uh, on a mission trip to Mexico with my parents. We were serving in this orphanage in Mexico. And I spent the week just serving these kids, and we fed them meals, we cleaned stuff, we, we built stuff. Um, just spent the week ministering to people and... For me, that was a big week of my life because kind of the, the clutter that had accumulated in my life, the things that um, had really kind of just been routine in my life, for the first time I began to kind of explore what it would look like to really be where God wants me to be in life. And I remember uh, in those moments, kind of going back in the afternoon after serving all day, thinking, man, this would be awesome to do, like to serve people full time. Like, if I could do this, if I could have this kind of peace in my life every day of my life, I think that's where God wants me. Now, I remember going back, and I remember on the plane ride back, I just really felt the sense that God was calling me to serve Him full time. And so I just began to pray about what that would look like. I mean, I came back from Mexico. Um, I knew I had to go back to school at UMKC, but I wanted to drop immediately. Uh, I wanted to, to get out of school because I knew everything I was doing, I was miserable. But I didn't know how to, how to kind of pursue what God had called me to do. I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of telling my parents. I was afraid of, of losing all of my friends, which I did. Um, I was afraid of, of living a life, and I didn't even know if they paid people to do this full time. And so I, I was afraid of, of losing everything. I was afraid of, of the image that uh, people had of me. Um, I was afraid of how I was going to have to explain everything to, to follow God. But I knew this, as I began to pray, God began to reveal things to me. And within three months of coming back, I had dropped out of UMKC and enrolled at Calvary Bible College. And some of the fears that I had had, um, had um, I really pushed through them. And, and like conversations with my parents went very well. They were very supportive. 
Um, I did lose most of my friends, but I found new friends. And so God really showed me during this time, He, he one, revealed Himself to me in a, a totally new way. I learned so much about God during this season. And so from that moment on, I knew I was in the right spot. So while I was in the process of learning and discovering what God's new direction for my life was, um, as I was in school, I became an intern uh, doing student ministry at a church. At this church, I met my wife, and my wife uh, and I have two beautiful young boys. And along this journey, I've had the privilege of, of being a youth pastor um, and now a family pastor at Journey Church International. And I'm so excited that I had the opportunity that um, somehow, some way, God would use a person like me from a small town of Drexel, Missouri, with a population of 907 people, um, to be a part of what He's doing in and around the world. I never for a second regret saying yes to Jesus, rather than just living my life trying to say no to the world. And I'm so thankful for um, what God's brought me through and what He's brought me to. That's my story, and that's how following Jesus made a difference in my life. You know, when you know where to be and what to look for, and you earnestly seek God, it changes everything. And it's funny how many Christians I meet who, until they get away from their life, they don't hear from God. And it's not that God doesn't speak in the midst of their life. They just have so much life on. They can't, God can't cut through the busyness of their life. I'm convinced if every Christian would go on a mission trip for a week, just intent to seek God and what he wanted to do for their life, they would hear him speak. Nothing that was new, but they would finally just turn to the right dial and finally hear God communicating with them. And this is what happened to Peter, James, and John on the mountain. And I think about Scotty's video, man. It's amazing what happens when obedience and courage come together in following Jesus. Because how many of us today would leave and take a faith step if we weren't afraid of what our parents would think, of what our spouse would think, of what our kids would think, of what our friends would think, of what would happen at work, of how our image would change. I love how honest Scott was. I was just... I was just afraid of taking this step, but God made it all work out. And then finally, number three, as we insert ourselves kind into the Christmas story and we see the reality of Jesus at Christmas, we see Mary and Joseph, Jesus' mom and dad, were forever transformed by the appearance of Jesus in their life. It took Peter, James, and John really three years to get to the point where they could see Jesus in his presence with his people in all of his power and his purpose. But Mary and Joseph, like the moment Jesus came into their life, it it transformed everything, right? And the turning point of Mary and Joseph's story was that they said yes. They, they said yes for God's plan for them in Jesus' place on planet earth. And it's interesting how when we say yes to Jesus, yes to whatever Jesus wants us to do, how that becomes the turning point of our story. Because the reality is to embrace Jesus is to embrace change. A lot of us want Jesus to come into our life and be a part of our life. And we invite him like to become our savior and to become our sidekick. It's almost like we invite Jesus to follow along in our life. Jesus, I, I want you to come and be a part of my life. Very few people say, Jesus, I want to come and be a part of your plan. Whatever you want me to do. And a lot of people want to have Jesus, but they don't want to change anything. They don't want to change their daily schedule. They don't want to change their habits. They don't want to change their addictions. They don't want to change anything about their personality. They don't want to change their job. They don't want to change their spending. They don't want to change their serving. They don't want to change their friendships. 
They want Jesus, but not change. But to embrace Jesus is to embrace change. Mary and Joseph certainly did. But I want you to see something that I read this week. And I learned the truth of it, and, and I, I kind of got disgusted at the reality of this spiritual truth. Look at Luke chapter 9, verses 34 and 35. It says, while he was speaking, it was Peter telling Jesus we should stay here and put up some houses. A cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. I read this and I, just, I was just processing. As a, as a Bible teacher, I was processing the steps that the disciples took to hear the voice of God. And here's what Luke chapter 9 says. Fear, the cloud came and they were afraid. Fear made Peter shut up and pay attention. And attention brought focus to the situation. Like you know how true this is, right? Have you ever heard something in your garage when you're home late at night? And is it not crazy how fear allows you to pay attention? Have you ever sat up in bed and said, did you, did you hear that? You ever woken up your spouse? Said, did you hear that downstairs? And it was just the elf on the shelf changing places and it was like no big deal, but it you know, really freaked you out for a minute. Isn't it funny how fear makes you pay attention and attention finally brings focus. You know what I'm tired of? I'm disgusted with how the church uses the tragedies of life as God's voice speaking to someone. Well, God's just trying to get your attention. Yeah, Grandma got cancer. Well, you know, God's just trying to get your attention. God didn't give Grandma cancer to get your attention. God didn't cause that car accident to get your attention. God didn't make you lose your job to get your attention. The truth is, the only time you'll pay attention is when something bad happens. And then because God finally has your attention, he says what he's been saying all the time. But the only time you'll press mute is when you think you hear something in the garage. The only time you'll turn down the TV and pay attention is when you think something could be wrong. And the reality is we have created a God who only speaks when things are wrong because we only listen when things are wrong. And Peter's running his mouth, right? And then they go into this cloud. He gets afraid, so he shuts up. And when he finally quiets his soul, Psalm 46.10 says it this way, be still. When he finally quiets down, they hear God speak. And God says, listen to what Jesus is saying. And as so many big faith moments happen in moments of fear and desperation and tragedy, because it's the only time we shut everything down and listen. But what if we would make it a daily habit to listen? What if we would make it a weekly habit to listen? What if every Sunday at church we would choose to listen? And we wouldn't wait for the moments where God could become the God of the tragedy, but he could just become the God of every day life. You know, Christians don't automatically know how to hear from God. We learn this through the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. Samuel was dedicated to the Lord before his mother even gave birth to him. And as a baby, his mom took him up to the temple. And when he was old enough to stay there, he stayed there. And God began to speak to Samuel one day. They said that God spoke to him, Samuel. And he went to Eli, who was there laying beside him. And he's like, did you say my name? And Eli's like, no, go to bed, kid. So he went to bed. And then God spoke to me and Samuel. So I ran back to Eli and he's like, hey, what do you need? 
And Eli's like, I didn't say anything. Go to bed. And after it happened the third time, Eli said, I think I know what's going on. I think God is trying to speak to you, but you don't know how to hear from God yet. So the next time you hear your name mentioned, I just want you to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You have to learn to listen to God. I had kind of a big moment a few weeks ago of realization spiritually. Uh, I was looking at a check that a friend gave Danielle and I for Christmas. I was holding in my hand a $150 gift check that someone had written us for Christmas. And I felt both really grateful and really stupid at the same time because the check was from 2005 and I had found it shoved way back in a drawer that I was cleaning out. And I thought, it would be rude to cash this now. Like, I'm sure this account, like, doesn't even exist, right? And I'm looking at this check thinking, I got this unbelievable gift that offered me no value because I didn't act on it. And it was like God said, how many people do that with Jesus? They accept the gift of Jesus, then they go throw him in the drawer, and they never experience any of the value that he can bring in life. Because they never cashed the check. Like they never leaned into, not the gift, but the person of Jesus. And man, when we look at defining decisions today, we've said about your story that nobody has a story just like yours. And that nobody can ever take your story away. And my favorite line of all, if you're not dead, God's not done with your story. But nobody can know what's next but you and God. So what would happen if we got real quiet? What, what would happen if we shh, did you hear that? What is that? Is that a mouse in the kitchen? Like have, you, like, have you ever had mice in your house and you listen real quiet? Did you, did the garage door just go up? Was that a car door? Did you hear that dog barking? Those of you who have young kids, shh, is the baby crying? You listen to that monitor? What would happen if we just get quiet and say, speak, Lord? For your servant is listening. 2014 is coming to a close. 2015 is getting ready to happen. What would happen if we all got quiet and said, speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Whatever you tell me to do, increase my daily walk or start a daily walk, finally eliminate some kind of sin in my life, start serving, start giving, start forgiving, accept your forgiveness, I had a friend from our church who last week told me in the parking lot, I've never had this conversation with him or told him how he's supposed to live his life spiritually. On December 7th, when Clayton was here, he made a massive spiritual decision and last week told me, I haven't drank or chewed in a week or chewed tobacco in a week. I was like, man, that's awesome. No, that wasn't a goal he set with me. But clearly God spoke to his heart. You need to cut back and quit doing this stuff. See, what he's saying is God spoke to me and look, look what I did. Everyone is going to be different. But everyone can be the same. We can be like little Samuel. We can be like these disciples. We can get in the presence of God, understand the power of God. We can be with the people of God. We can understand the purpose of God. And we can say, what's my place in the plan of Jesus? And we can say, okay, God, I'm going to shut everything out. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And for some of you, God has been saying the same thing every year for years. 
And you need to stop talking about what God's calling you to do. And you need to start being about what God's calling you to do. You just need to start doing it. And like Scott, just pray and trust God and do what God has called you to do. What decision do you need to make in your spiritual life today? Let's pray together.